On the pod today, we are very lucky to have the former anchor of the CBS Evening News and the author of the new book, What Unites Us, Dan Rather. Dan, welcome to Pod Save America. Glad to be with you. Thank you very much for having me on. So um, you were on the front lines reporting on the struggle for civil rights, the Vietnam War, Watergate, Iran-Contra. How does the Trump presidency compare to these other historical moments of crisis and challenge that you've reported on? Well, the Trump presidency, first and foremost, and I think increasingly people who didn't know it before beginning to recognize it, is unique. Of course, every presidency is unique in its own ways. But we have never had a president who, among other things, many other things, so relentlessly and so personally attacks uh, the whole idea of a free and independent, fiercely independent when necessary press. Uh, He's directed his venom at uh, individual reporters. He's directed it at specific journalistic institutions. And then he's indicted and found guilty the entire press by saying they are, quote, enemies of the people. It's the rare president in our history. In fact, I can't find any who didn't have uh, any ill feelings about the president at any time. Every president goes through a period, and sometimes several periods, and says things about press coverage, sometimes uh, valid, sometimes not. But even during the Nixon administration, it was nothing to compare with what we are, are seeing now. And, of course, it fits into the larger story of the Trump presidency, uh, one of uh, the tone and tem- tenor of his presidency uh, has been negative and frankly, seeks to divide us for his own partisan political and personal benefit. So this effort to convince people that, well, this is normal. Yes, Donald Trump's a little different, but he's shaking things up. But, you know, maybe it was necessary. This is not normal. It is not in keeping with the American spirit. And overall, in the main, and that includes what he does about the press, uh, it's divisive, not unifying. Uh, Dan, when I see things the Trump administration does and says, I often fall into the trap of hyperbole and, and assume it's it's the most hostile they've ever been to the press or, you know, this is the most egregious lie I've seen out of a White House over some period of time. But you covered uh, a whole series of presidents. H- how does what you, the hostility to the press and the dishonesty you see compare to, say, the height of the Vietnam War, when we had generals and politicians alike telling us everything was going well, uh, when in fact we were losing on the battlefield, or, or other such sort of times of heightened conflict during the Nixon administration? Well, very good point. However, none of those who criticize the press, none of those in power, including President Johnson, President Johnson got frustrated with coverage of the press because it wasn't reporting the war on the ground the way he wanted it reported. However, none of them, from President Johnson on down, including the generals, number one, they never attacked journalism as a whole. Mm -hmm. They never said anything even remotely approaching that the press is, quote, enemies of the people. On occasion, they directed their frustration and anger at individual reporters, but always at They directed it at what the reporters had reported, not at the reporters personally. Have a frame of reference here. You remember during the campaign when President Trump, uh, what a terrible picture it was. 
uh, ridiculed an individual reporter who had physical challenges and mm-hmm. mimicked him. There was In the Vietnam War, we were a divided people. Just as many or more people were deeply worried whether the country would hold together during the Vietnam War. But attacks on the press were of a whole different level, far below anything we're seeing during the Trump administration. And I mentioned before that President Nixon didn't like the press at all. And through surrogates, he had attacks on the press. But again, out of the president's own mouth, nothing approaching what President Trump has said. And even with the surrogates, they they rarely really came down hard on individual reporter personally. Mm-hmm. It's just I can't emphasize enough because this is not just an issue that affects journalists. Of course it affects us, affects our reputation, affects our credibility. But this is something that goes to the very heart of, of our core beliefs and, pr- frankly, what has united us for all these years our country's been in existence, and that is a recognition that a free and independent press is the red-beating heart of freedom and democracy. And if you don't have it as part of the check and balance on power, then you're going to have a different kind of country. Mm -hmm. So you have had something of a renaissance on social media. You've become like a Facebook star. Now, usually Facebook stars tend to be very young people jumping off of buildings into (laughs) pools from great heights. Um, How have you managed to compete with that? You know, what, what, what is this sudden appeal to, to a lot of people kind of looking to you in this moment? Well, you know, I, I continue to be amazed by what's happened on content I filed on social media. I never expected uh, anything approaching this kind of reach. I say that with uh, humility because I should. There are plenty of people who have more reach than I have. But to reach on a regular basis two and a half, three million people, on a Facebook page and sometimes have posts reach, you know, three, five, occasionally 20 million people. Uh, I, frankly, I never expected it. I'm still rather amazed by it. I know what I'm trying to do on, on Facebook. Uh, I have my own Facebook page and then a companion Facebook page called News and Guts, which we expand out to a little more news coverage that if I have anything to contribute, and I'm not sure that I do, but if I have anything to contribute, it's some context and perspective, including historical perspective, and try to present an experienced and maybe at my best steady voice. Uh, I can only conclude that that's been the the appeal of it. Uh, I am, among many things I'm amazed about, and I use that word measurably, is that there's so many people that are included in our audience now. And let's face it, you know, I haven't been regularly on full-scale television for almost 12 years. I left CBS News 12 years ago. And while, yes, I expected some people who remember when I was on the evening news and remember when I was on 60 Minutes to find a whole new audience of people who range in age roughly, you know, 18 to 35, a large part of our Facebook audience, is, well, amazing, the only word I can think about it is also gratifying. Do you think it has anything to do with, like, a sense of mistrust? I mean, there's has to be some connection with people feeling like they don't trust what the news is doing now and then going to somebody they maybe associate with their childhood or with, with a, a different era in journalism. Well, this is a constant challenge. Uh, two parts of that. First, there, there are those people who for a very long time has have believed uh, that the press is heavily skewed to the what they call the liberal or progressive side. 
those people have been around for a long time. Then the, the other main group are, are younger people who don't have memories of the civil rights struggle or the Vietnam War, who just have grown up with so much coming at them that they tend not to trust anybody. The best we can do as journalists, and what I try to do is, first of all, I try to listen to people. And one of the suggestions that I make and uh, what unites us is we need a more civil tone and need to listen to one another. So I try to listen to criticism. I always try to make the point, the following points in a short list. Number one, we make mistakes in journalism. I've made my mistakes. There's no way to do journalism perfectly. It's a rather crude art. It's not a, a precise science. But, but try to explain to people that what I'm, I try to do for most of my career and what most journalists try to do is be an honest broker of information. So it, in answer to your question, how you deal with it, it, you know, you try to listen to people, try to uh, address their points, including, well, yes, we do make mistakes, and when we make mistakes, we should come full, but never buy into the idea that, well, the press should be completely discounted, that none of them are doing very much, and they deal in, quote, fake news, and they're, quote, enemies of the people. This is, quite frankly, uh, unreasonable. And I do find that if, if one listens and then tries to make your point about what good journalism is and how many people striving to do it, we can make some headway, but you're never going to convince everybody. So uh, the New York Times recently rolled out a new social media policy that basically prohibits all reporters from posting anything that would jeopardize the appearance of objectivity. It says, if our journalists are perceived as biased or if they engage in editorializing on social media, that can undercut the credibility of the entire newsroom. What do you make about this growing worry among mainstream outlets about even the perception of bias, you know, from other people? It seems like you're you're not as concerned about that when you're posting your Facebook essays, not that they're biased, but, you're, you know, you've been sounding the alarm about Trump. What do you think about some outlets just being almost more concerned about balance than they are about anything else? Well, first of all, I, I, I consider balance a very, I won't say dangerous, but a problematic word for journalists because all too often striving for balance, laying down a policy of balance really can take you pretty quickly into false equivalency of saying, well, there are two sides to every story and the two sides are pretty much equal. First of all, some stories have four, six or eight sides, not just two sides. But also the fact that the equivalency cannot be and should not be always drawn even. But to your point about the Times policy and others that are worried about, quote, objectivity, uh, it's not in me to criticize the New York Times, which is a great inst uh, journalistic institution, uh, and I think a national treasure is, is Washington Post and, and some other newspapers and print people who are trying to do a good job. However, I think it's very important, and particularly in the, in the post digital divide, our heavily technological electronic journalism age, to make it clear to news consumers that this would be my preference. To first of all explain there's so-called, quote, straight news in which we try to present the facts uh, and bear witness to facts and, and direct quotes. Then there's analysis which tries to connect the dots 
uh, as somebody once said, you can know all, all the facts and still not know the truth. So there's straight news reporting, there's analysis, which seeks to take the uh, gathered straight news and make a pattern out of it, connect, connect the various parts of it. Then there's commentary. Commentary is just, well, okay, this is what appears to be the situation. Let me tell you what I think about it. It's commentary. It doesn't necessarily urge a course of action. And then there's the editorial uh, in which uh, it suggests, if not indeed uh, strongly suggests, a course of action. So you start by explaining that, that those are the four general headings under which journalists operate. I would think that a major newspaper, and let me not single out the Times, rather than center on, listen, we're very concerned about the perception just the perception of objectivity to explain to their readers what it is they're trying to do and allow their expert staff of journalists to do straight news reporting, do analysis, do commentary, and yes, from time to time, uh, do editorial and present a point of view that suggests a course of action. It seems to me that would be the better way to go, but I do want to emphasize that the New York Times doesn't need any advice from me. Dan, for a long period of time, there was network news that while they were often accused of bias by conservatives, I think we would all argue tried to play it down the middle. The advent of cable news seems to have led to uh, more partisan news channels. I mean, Fox News, I would argue, is, is borderline a propaganda network now. When you look back at the rise of cable news, do you think it was a net benefit for the news-gathering business and news-consuming public when you look at it, what it has become? Well, let the record show on radio I'm smiling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Recorded. You know, Duly noted. Uh, this is a muscular question. I think the answer uh, directly is overall, in the main, it's a net plus. However, it certainly has had its negative aspects, some of which that you've mentioned that at least one of the channels, and you could argue at least two, mm-hmm. are outright propaganda uh, networks. And uh, I do agree that, that Fox News, and I've gotten in trouble from saying this before, but I say it again, particularly in their primetime news area, it's pretty hard to, to come to any conclusion other than they are a basic propaganda operation for a partisan political point of view. But back to the the core question about cable news, that it is true that back in the day where you had the so-called big three networks, there was a concentrated effort. It was a matter of policy and more than policy. It was what was in the heart and journalistic soul of the people who worked at ABC News, NBC, and CBS to be what I described before as witnesses and honest brokers of information. And to drain out, insofar it was possible, any commentary or editorial, remember the four areas I talked before, to deal in straight news uh, and analysis. Now, cable television, along with the elimination of limitations on uh, radio, one doesn't want to underestimate that talk radio once the FCC changed the rules where it, it didn't, you didn't, were not required under FCC regulations to present very uh, differing points of view uh, in news and, and public information. Once those rules by the boards, radio, talk radio, 
led the way and, and sort of showed cable what was possible for cable television. So you had a combination of talk radio, the Rush Limbaugh's of the world, and the, what cable news became with uh, Fox News leading the way there. Uh, has No question has had an overall negative effect. But I come back, if you say to me, well, is the news consumer better served now in the second decade of the 21st century than he or she was in, say, 1970 or 1980, I'd take a deep breath and say I think uh, overall probably yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dan Rather, for joining us. The book is What Unites Us. Everyone go buy it. And this was Dan Rather, former CBS Evening News anchor. Thank you very much for your time and interest today. Courage. All right. <laughs> yes. awesome. Thank you, Dan. Thank, Thank you, Dan, you. so much. We appreciate it. But listen, I really appreciate you having me on, and, you know, I know of your work, and uh, I wish you good luck and Godspeed. Thanks, sir. We wish you the same. Take care. Thanks a lot. All right, that's our show for today. Thanks to Dan Rather and DeRay McKesson for joining us, and, uh, you know, we'll uh, talk to you guys on Thursday. Guys, keep your your heads on a swivel. There are Keurigs falling from the sky. (laughs) Watch your feet. Keep your wits about you. There are new signs going up around highways that say watch for falling Falling Keurigs. Keurigs. Donate to Doug Jones. Watch for falling uh, impotent attempts at seeming like a person who cares about things. MAGA. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 